Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lightspeed. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Freund. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Today's story is Veil of Ignorance by David Barr Kirtley, narrated by Stefan Rudnicki. This story is copyright 2004 by David Barr Kirtley and was originally published in All the Rage this year, edited by Keith Alexa. It is reprinted with permission of the author. David Barr Kirtley is the author of 30 short stories, which have appeared in magazines such as Realms of Fantasy, Weird Tales, and Lightspeed, as well as in books such as Armored, The Living Dead, Other Worlds Than These, and Fantasy, The Best of the Year. His stories have also been featured on podcasts such as Escape Pod and Pseudopod. He lives in New York. And now, buckle up. We're going to Lightspeed. Veil of Ignorance by David Barr Kirtley Something strange is happening to me. We're at Conrad's Vacation House, a sprawling mansion that orbits the gas giant Hades III. His father owns both the house and the planet. Conrad is in the living room watching sports. His girlfriend Alyssa is standing by the mirror in the bathroom fixing her hair. Her friend Kat is sitting near the bay windows watching the stars and the roiling vermeil clouds on the world below. Dylan is in the kitchen mixing drinks. Brad is slouched on the sofa, watching everyone with a lazy smile, and I don't know which of them I am. Perception shifts. A few moments of Alyssa running my fingers through silky hair. A moment of Dylan using my knife to slice limes for the drinks. A moment of Cat feeling awe of those looming bands of color, of those constantly churning swirls that look so majestic and make me feel so insignificant. Then Conrad, pride at my team's success, at my father's wealth. Then Brad. I feel quite smug. It's starting to work, I tell them. You can all feel it, can't you? Dylan comes in from the kitchen with the drinks. I hand one of them to Conrad, who thanks me, and one to Cat, who takes it silently. Feel what? I ask. Brad gestures to the smoldering bowl at the center of the coffee table, at the calypsarian pipe, and whatever the shit was we've all been smoking. Something very strange is happening to me, Cat says. Brad ignores her. You see, I had this idea... A few weeks ago, Dylan and I were talking politics, and he brings up this thing about Rawls. Conrad sighs and orders the computer to take a break. I want to watch the end of the game, but this is starting to feel really weird. 
Alyssa comes out of the bathroom, looking gorgeous as always. I sit down on the couch next to Conrad. What's going on, Brad? I ask. What was that stuff you gave us? Just sit and listen, Brad says. All will become clear. Conrad turns to Dylan. Who's Rawls? John Rawls, I explain, puzzled about where this is going. 20th century, he tried to revive the social contract theory, which states that the only fair laws are those that everyone can agree to. Whatever, Alyssa tosses her hair. Someone get me another drink. Conrad holds up a hand to her. Quiet, I say. I want to hear this. Dylan shrugs and keeps going. The problem with the social contract is that people don't agree. Slave owners think that slavery is fair, slaves don't. So Rawls envisions a hypothetical situation in which the two of them don't know who is who. Put behind this veil of ignorance, neither would support slavery, knowing that he himself might be the slave. I start to see where this is going and finish. Once self-interest is cancelled out, it turns out that they agree on principle. Cat interrupts. Brad, will you cut the shit and tell us what's going on, I say. Why can't I tell who I am? Then Dylan starts to answer my question in that patronizing tone of his. Don't you see, he says. We've been put behind a veil of ignorance ourselves. Very good, Brad nods at him. A few weeks ago I was hanging out with this Calypsarian dealer on Far Guardport. Alyssa frowns. Which ones are they? I ask softly. Calypsarians. The purple ones, Kat says, from Oropoli, with the tentacles. Three yellow eyes. Oh, yeah, I say. Conrad elbows me, quiet. And we were totally trashed, talking politics, philosophy, metaphysics, etc., etc., and I start telling it about this veil of ignorance idea, and it says it's got some stuff that can do that. So it sells me. Why? Dylan asks. My word hangs there, alone in the silence for a few moments. Well, look, Brad says, this group, this band of friends, if that's what you want to call us, is broken. We all know it, but no one wants to say it. Well, I said it. He levels a finger at Conrad. Conrad treats his girlfriend like shit. He also treats Dylan like shit. That is, unless Dylan starts picking on one of the girls, in which case Conrad gangs up with him. And, of course, he finishes... Everyone treats me like shit all the time. Conrad does not treat me like shit, Alyssa says, offended. Quiet, he tells her. I thought this might clear the air, Brad says. Behind our very own veil of ignorance, some of us may reach a new consensus on how we ought to be treating each other. Alyssa says, I don't like this. I don't like having someone else controlling my body even for a moment. I feel violated. No one else is controlling your body, Brad sighs. That's not how it works. The drug creates localized telepathy with scrambled ego. Alyssa's brain is still controlling Alyssa's body. Alyssa's thoughts, to the extent that she has any, Dylan interjects, are still her own. The only difference is now everyone experiences everyone's thoughts, and no one knows which set of thoughts is his own. Cat crosses her arms. I don't want to share my thoughts. Brad shrugs. Too late, I say. Don't do drugs. Conrad gets to his feet. He looks pissed off. I think Brad needs to have his ass kicked for pulling this little stunt. 
No, Dylan says. Think about it. Our identities are all mixed together. If Conrad hits Brad, we all feel it equally. What's the point of that? Hmm. Conrad thinks for a moment, then says, So we just wait until the drug wears off, then hit him. Cat glances at him. What if you're Brad, I ask. That stops him. And that's really the point, isn't it? There are five sets of consciousness here, but none of us knows which personality belongs to us. When the drug wears off, I'll be one of these people, but who? Right now, I'm Cat. The boys don't like me. They think I'm weird because I wear black and have my own ideas. They only let me hang around because I'm friends with Alyssa. She's more their type. Pretty and popular, and I'm sorry to say it because she is my friend. Vapid. She doesn't even notice when they make fun of her. But still, she's pretty. And looks are all that matter when you're a girl. Am I a girl? If so, let me be Alyssa, not Cat. I don't want to be Cat. I'm starting to get a headache, Brad says. I can feel it coming on. Conrad grunts, good. Dylan nods. Yeah, seriously, Brad, he says. You have no right to be complaining about anything right now. Brad looks sullen. I get really bad headaches. We know, Conrad sighs. We've heard. He gets up from the couch and paces around the living room. He wheels on Brad. See, this is why you get picked on. This is why no one likes you. You're weak. You whine all the time. You're a... He turns to Dylan. What? Hypochondriac, Dylan offers. Yes, Conrad says, pointing. Thank you. A hypochondriac. We all get headaches, Brad. We deal with them. For you, it's like the end of the world. Well, you'll see, Brad says angrily. Tonight, you'll all feel what my headaches are like. And I'm used to it. You're not. Conrad shakes his head. Whatever. I'm so intimidated. The truth is, I'm sick of Brad and his goddamn attitude. He thinks he's so clever trying to make us feel sorry for him. Well, I didn't start this game, but I can choose to play it my way. Let's have some fun with this. I walk over to Alyssa, take her hand, and pull her to her feet. Come on upstairs, I tell her. I want to show you something. Alyssa hesitates. I know what he's thinking. I guess we all do, because this drug is mixing our thoughts together. But even without the drug, I would still know, because he's got that look. Come on, he repeats, and pulls me along after him toward the stairs. Brad scowls. I should have known. Conrad likes to do her so that we can all hear her moaning, just to let everyone know who she belongs to. Now we'll do a lot more than hear them. Tonight, I offer them a chance to get outside themselves, to comprehend our sad situation, to make a new start. And all he can see is a new opportunity to show us up. I glance at Dylan, who's grinning. What are you so thrilled about? He's really going to do it, Dylan says. We're all going to. I've always wanted to. And don't tell me you haven't. Cat looks weak and pale and scared. I am scared. I say nothing. No, Brad says. She's an imbecile. I don't find that attractive. Liar, Dylan answers. Everyone wants her. I glance at Cat. What, no wry observations this time, Cat? I laugh. Well, this is pretty fucked up, I say. I don't remember anything like this in Rawls. 
Even as I say it, I experience a twinge of self-loathing. I'm such an ass, so cocky, so sarcastic. Why do I act this way? Because I know that as long as someone else is the butt of the joke, it won't be me. How pathetic. For a moment, I feel an overwhelming sense of shame. But then I remember I'm not Dylan. At least probably not. Or maybe I am. I don't want to be Dylan. Conrad lies in bed among tangled sheets. I always hate myself afterward. My thoughts are terribly lucid, unclouded by the distractions of desire and drink and noise. It's in these moments that I can't escape the truth. My friends are losers. I despise my girlfriend. I stay with her because she's hot, and I hate myself for being so superficial. I'm rich and good-looking and athletic and successful. I've had every advantage. So why can't I do better than this, than these people? At least the sex was good. That's what I used to think. But tonight, my thoughts kept getting mixed with hers. I was her, and I felt nothing but boredom, frustration, a straining to achieve some pleasure before it was over, and it was over too soon. That's Brad's fault, I tell myself. Him and his goddamn headache. I feel it in those moments when I'm him. And how are you supposed to perform with a headache like that? Now I have to go back downstairs and face them. They all know. What a miserable night this has turned out to be for Conrad. For me? I hope I'm not Conrad. I look at Alyssa and know that she knows these thoughts. I don't care. Alyssa slips angrily from the bed and starts getting dressed. I almost fall over yanking on my patties. I'm so mad. What a shithead. What a goddamn asshole. I only stay with you because you buy me things, I tell him over my shoulder. At least I didn't have to fake it this time. I dress in the dark. By the time I've got my clothes on, my mind is made up. I'm dumping him. If I'm Alyssa, I'm definitely dumping him. I mean it this time. But what if I'm not Alyssa? What if I'm Conrad? In that case, maybe I shouldn't dump him. Or rather, Alyssa shouldn't. God, my head hurts to think like this. The truth is, they're both really sad people, and I don't want to be either one of them. And I realized then that I don't want to be any of these people. Not Conrad, who's arrogant, or Alyssa, who's dumb, or Cat, who's weird, or Dylan, who's sarcastic, or Brad, who's whiny. Is this how the people felt in Rawls's thought experiment, when they were floating free for a time, divorced from the tyranny of identity? Maybe they would choose never to go back. Pure consciousness is an amazing thing, but actual personalities are always broken and unpleasant. It's not fair that our thoughts should be imprisoned in identities. I start to dread the moment when this wonderful and terrible drug I purchased will begin to fade, and I'll be trapped as one of these people. Now I realize that I've been lost in reverie, and my thoughts have grown too profound to be Alyssa's. Sure enough, I'm Brad again. I glance up as Conrad and Alyssa troop miserably down the stairs. My headaches don't start out that bad, but then they get worse. A pressure is building along my hairline. Then it starts to squeeze, 
like someone's wrapped a rope around my brow and is twisting it tighter and tighter. The pain starts to pulse, ranging from bad to unbearable. There's quick, stabbing pain if I move my head, and constant nausea. For a moment I'm Alyssa, and the pain is gone. But I know it'll be back any moment. Conrad tells Brad, take some pills. It won't do any good, Brad says. It never does. Take them, Conrad barks. Brad shrugs. I wander over into the bathroom, pain like hammer blows falling on my temples. I rummage through the medicine cabinet, find some pills and swallow them. I return to the living room. We gotta make this stop, Conrad says. Dylan nods in agreement. Hey, Brad, I say. When is this headache going to wear off? By morning, he replies. Conrad is incredulous. By morning? No way. There's got to be something we can do. The telepathy must have a maximum range, Cat says quietly. The field, it can't stretch forever. Conrad nods. Right, so let's just hop on the yacht and leave him here. You can't, Brad says. I ordered the yacht to do a tune-up. It won't be ready to fly until tomorrow. Conrad takes three quick steps and shoves Brad hard. What the hell did you do that for? Brad stumbles, recovers his balance. No one's running away. Not tonight. What's the matter, Conrad? Don't like being me? Or Cat? Or Alyssa? Welcome to the club. Conrad turns away. He starts to pace furiously. Don't you see? Brad is almost shouting now. We have a chance here tonight. We can agree on how each of us should be treated and be bound by that commitment. That's the beauty of the veil of ignorance. For example, we know that Brad really does get terrible headaches, pain that the rest of the group until tonight couldn't even imagine. So let's agree to be more sympathetic. Remember, any of you might be Brad. There are a few moments of awkward silence. Everyone exchanges sideways glances. Conrad shakes his head. Screw Brad, I announce. He's an asshole, and Conrad is going to kick his ass when this is over, and Brad deserves it. Even if I'm Brad, I don't care. He still deserves it. I pause. I don't think I am, though. How could I be him? No way. Cat rolls her eyes. You have no way of knowing, I say. You're being irrational. And even if you are, Conrad, Brad adds, you still might want to listen he looks at each of us in turn. We've all learned some things tonight about Conrad. He's going to get a lot of shit for that, unless we all agree right now to go easy on him. Conrad glares at Brad with absolute fury. Dylan backs out of the way. Strangely enough, in this tense moment, I start thinking about Rawls again, about some of the critiques of his theory. Rawls believed that people subjected to a veil of ignorance would do the rational thing, agree to a society that's fair to everyone. That's what Brad thought, too. But maybe they wouldn't. Maybe people would still set up things like slavery because each person would simply gamble that he'll be the owner and not the slave. It's not the rational thing to do, but people are often not rational. An idea that's foremost in my thoughts as I watch the crazed expression coming over Conrad. Over me? The pain of Brad's headache is driving me absolutely insane. Brad is driving me absolutely insane. I want it to stop. I want him to stop. Anything to make it stop. 
But Brad's just standing there with his smug grin. I told you my headaches were bad, but you wouldn't listen. You never listen to me because you're a spoiled asshole. But now you see I'm right. Who's weak now, huh? Who's the one who can't take it? I lunge for him. Don't you come to my house and talk to me like that? I punch Brad, who goes down, and I fall on top of him and start slamming his shoulders against the floor. Then my fingers find Brad's throat and start to choke him. If he's unconscious, I announce furiously, then we won't have to feel his headache or his weakness or his goddamn resentment. Alyssa starts screaming. Cat leaps forward and tries to drag Conrad off, but he's too big. Stop it, I yell at him. You're going to kill him. Dylan stands by doing nothing. He's frozen, just contemplating the theoretical implications of this strangling. Conrad's grip tightens. I'm squeezing. I hear Kat's words and realize that she's right. I am going to kill him. It has this awful sense of inevitability because I hate him so much, despise him. I have no choice. But it's not really me doing it, is it? At least, probably it's not. Brad's thrashing is growing weaker. And now everything is going dark and numb, like my head's being dipped in ice water. I can't see. I hardly notice the pain in my neck anymore. I know I'm going to die, and I don't want to die. I mean, I really, really don't want to die here on this floor. But then I realize that it's not me that's dying. Brad is dying, and I'm not him. At least I'm probably not. Or maybe I am. I don't want to be Brad. I'm screaming because I'm dead. I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm Brad, and I'm dead. I felt it, that moment when life stopped, that instant when it ended. Don't think, don't think about it. I'm screaming. I can't be dead if I'm screaming, and three other people are screaming too. Conrad is screaming, and Dylan is screaming, and Kat is screaming, and I look down at my body and see that I'm Alyssa. No, I'm Conrad now. And I make myself stop screaming. Stop it. Just stop. I make myself look at Brad. He's on his back, arms splayed, legs splayed. I can't see his face. His head is turned away. All I see is a mess of dark, curly hair. But now I'm Cat, and now I can see his face. Oh, God, his eyes are open. They're staring. I throw a hand over my mouth and turn away. Conrad pivots, stomps a few steps, circles back. Then I am Conrad, and my life is over, ruined. How could this happen? How could this possibly happen? Brad's headache ended along with his life, and now my thoughts are clear and sharp and cold. Very, very cold. Alyssa's palms are pressed against her temples. You killed him, I shout. Cat moves toward the computer. I'm calling for help. Conrad shouts, no. Dylan holds out a hand. Wait. Cat comes to a stop, watching, guarded. Let me think a second. Dylan starts to pace. I'm Alyssa waiting, then Conrad waiting, and then Cat when he says, We've got to cover it up. No, I tell him. Think, Cat, Dylan says softly. What if you're Conrad? Then I'll pay the price. But even as I say it, I feel a twinge of doubt. What if I really am Conrad? I try to imagine what it would be like if the drug finally wore off, and I looked down and saw Conrad's body, 
my body maybe, standing alone. I can't. I can't. It's too much. Alyssa fidgets. What are we going to do? I ask. Cover it up, Dylan explains. He takes a deep breath. It's the only thing that makes sense. Any one of us might be Conrad. So we all swear, right now, never to tell anybody. No one knows Brad was here. We dispose of the body, and for all anyone knows, he was eaten by one of those calypsarian scumbags he always hung out with. Conrad steps forward. Anyway, it would serve him right if that had happened, I say awkwardly. This whole thing was his fault. It's the drug that did it. What was he thinking, slipping us some fucked-up alien drug? Dylan turns and gazes at Cat. Come on, I prod her. It's the only way. I know she'll break. I was heard just a second ago. She can't go to jail. She won't. All right, she whispers in a hollow voice. Alyssa agrees, too. Okay, I say. Okay, let's do that. Conrad nods. I'll load him into my yacht. As soon as it's ready to fly, we swing into a low orbit and launch the body down into Hades Three. It won't last a second down there. Fine, Dylan says. Go, do it. Conrad takes Brad's body under the armpits and starts to drag. Cat wanders over to the window again and looks down at the planet. I used to think it was so amazing, so awe-inspiring. Now I look at those red bands and feel only horror. I can't look away. I know that for the rest of my life I'm going to remember this sight and remember Brad and be afraid. I'll turn Conrad in. Whatever I say now, whatever I promise, it's a lie. If the drug wears off and I'm not Conrad, I'll turn him in. I have to. But what if I am Conrad? Then I can't trust Cat. Then I have to do something about Cat. Conrad stops. He tosses Brad's body aside. Dylan stands totally still. They're both staring at me. Dylan sighs. So much for that plan. We can't trust Cat not to talk. I should know. I was just her. Get rid of her, too, Conrad grumbles. It's the first thing to pop into my head. But even before it's out of my mouth, I realize the problem which Dylan kindly points out. What if you're Cat, he says. I groan. So what do we do? Dylan thinks for a minute. I have an idea, he says. Then I am Dylan, and it's my idea. A terrible, terrible idea. But it's the only thing I can think of. We wait for a Calypsarian dealer that Conrad knows. I'm Conrad and Alyssa and Dylan and Cat and Conrad and Alyssa and Dylan and Cat. No one says anything. It seems to go on forever. It will go on forever. The Calypsarian docks its yacht. I'm Cat when it enters the room. It's taller than any of us, sinuous, and it smells like an ozone sea. I've never seen one whose mottled tentacles were such a dark shade of purple, or whose three eyes blazed such a bright and terrible yellow. It regards us. Conrad shows it the pipe. We want more of this, I demand. The Calypsarian snatches the pipe and examines it. Enough to last a decade, Dylan adds. Enough to last forever, if we needed to. The Calypsarian is very accommodating. Tell your friends, it rasps. Plenty to go around. 
enough for every last human if they want it. After the Calypsarian leaves, Dylan offers the pipe to Cat. There's enough in here to keep us going for weeks. She hesitates. Dylan scowls. Take it, Cat. Otherwise, it's a one in four chance of being Conrad. Only you and only Conrad. Your choice. Cat takes the pipe. I smoke it. So do the others. Now I'll never betray Conrad. I might be him. It occurs to me later when I'm Dylan that maybe Brad succeeded in some sick way. Cat or Dylan or Alyssa would have turned in Conrad in a second. But behind the veil of ignorance, we all agreed to help him out, and we always will. It's too bad Brad isn't around to see it. I'm glad I wasn't him, at least. Sometimes I wonder who I am. Not that it matters. Not anymore. Welcome back. You've been listening to Stefan Rudnicki reading Veil of Ignorance by David Barr Kirtley. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams. If you are not already a subscriber to our Hugo Award-winning magazine, check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Post-production for Lightspeed is in association with yours truly. Our podcast this week is sponsored by the new anthology edited by John Joseph Adams, Wastelands 2, More Stories from the Apocalypse. Not only is the book coming out this month, but the audiobook with all 30 stories, also produced by Skyboat Media, is available through downpour.com and audible.com. And as long as you're going there, be sure to look out for the Lightspeed Year One audiobook. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Lightspeed Magazine. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.